Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would lay out your case before us and that you would move our hearts tonight, that you would prepare us to see and understand you, the integrity of our God. It's in your precious name I pray, amen. Now there is a danger, because I keep pushing on the same point every week, that you could look back at me and say, I've heard this, I understand this. I've been pondering, actually pushing on this same point for months to come, just to see what happens, just to see if you keep coming back. I'm not actually trying to test you with it, but I am so moved by this. In other words, even if you hear me say the same thing tonight that you've heard me say the last two times we've met, I want you to realize it's because God keeps pushing this same button in my life every week. This is so central to Christianity, especially I could say it this way, to Christianity that works. If you can't trust your God, then you have no substance to your Christianity. But, take the opposite, if you can trust your God, then what could be possible? Because if you can trust your God, if you can take his words and say they are true, that means that you can build your life upon what he says. And he says some extraordinary things that are not necessarily being evidenced in Christianity today. But he promises them. And so you can say, it doesn't matter if I've seen it. My God promised it. Okay, so um, the name of this is Promise. It's a fairly boring title, and I like really good titles. And so I'm very disappointed in my title, but it fits it. Promise. What is a promise? How does it work? And what hinders us from going after it? Because what we see in the, in the Bible is we see this concept of promise throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament. God gives promise to his people. In fact, there's a whole country, a whole land known as the promised land. It was a promise. God gave it to his people. God is literally, he brings them to the edge of it, sort of points to it and says, there it is. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. He says, Go in, take it, I've given it to you. Wherever you, your foot shall step, it is yours. It's your inheritance. I've given it to you. Now, if God says that to you, what should you do? Every child, if we come and I bring them up here and I ask them that question, they would say, go in, take it, because God promised. But every adult, the ones that mature out of that childlike trust in God, all we have a tendency to see are the obstacles that we will face if we go after it. Well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, I'm a brick maker. This is what all the Israelites are thinking. I make bricks. I do not fight giants. There are 31 hostile empires in this land that God says, it's yours. And most of us are thinking, if it was mine, why doesn't he get rid of them? Why are they still there? It's actually, it makes some sense in the human rationale. If God really wanted to give me this territory, why doesn't he remove the obstacles? If God wants me to live a victorious life, why am I struggling with fear? Why am I still struggling with lust? Why am I still dealing with depression? Why does he just eliminate these things? Because they're sitting there and they're very big giants. I've tried. I've tried all the medication. I've prayed. I've done various things. And I still have these problems. And God says, take it. It's yours. Well, I, I don't know that I can really trust God on that point because, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of Christians that are struggling with the same thing. 
We have so many reasons that dart in and through our little adult minds that hinder us and remove the, the structure of confidence, or faith is what it's known as in Scripture, that would cause us as little children to say, God said it, I believe it. You take a whole bunch of little children, line them up on the shores of Kadesh Barnea, right at the Jordan River, and say, go. Your God promised. And then you could even say to them, yeah, sure, there's a lot of giants in the land, but God's a giant killer. Go. Go forward. He promised. Little children can trust in the bigness and the capability, the capacity, the power of God. And we have a tendency to mature out of our understanding of it. So I would like to encourage you to become a little child again tonight. And I think I've encouraged you probably the last two messages. This is the secret to entrance into the full understanding of the Godhead. You want to understand how God wants to interact with your life. What he wants to do in your life. You can only access it through the faith of a child. Confidence, complete and utter confidence that God is who he says he is and he's able to deliver when he promises. Okay, so I want to get some raw material out here on the table. Now, the classic uh, chapter in the Bible on faith, Hebrews 11, there's a line in it, and I'm not going to go through the chapter. I'm just going to go through this line. There's actually just two words in it I want to amplify and highlight and bring out for what we're going to talk about tonight. Who through faith subdued kingdoms is talking about the great heroes of the faith. Throughout history, who through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. There's a whole bunch more on the list. But I want to park on two words. Obtained promises. It's an interesting statement because a lot of us say, Oh, I received the promise. Or I believed in the promise. These are men and women that through faith obtained the promise. There is a promise that God has given. But when you are in the land of, well, you're in Egypt or you're in the wilderness, you still need to obtain it. There is action needed to get from here to there. Most of us want it to come to us. Hey, I believe in you, Jesus. And we're, st we're standing, our feet are firmly planted in the wilderness. There's sand all around them. And we're saying, if he brings it to me, I'll believe it. We want him to bring the promised land into the wilderness as opposed to us picking up and saying, I trust you. Where are you? You want me over there? I'm going. I'm leaving it all behind. If you stay in the wilderness, if you've heard me talk before, I've made this point more than a few times. The enemies of God are not in the wilderness. The enemy could care less about you if you stay in the wilderness. You're no threat. He is in the promised land. The enemy has parked himself in the very center of God's promise. He knows what he's fighting for. He's fighting to make sure you stay out of the promised land. That is where the resistance will come in your life. If you want God to come to you in the, in the wilderness, you're missing the whole point. You need to go and obtain it. And it's through faith that you obtain it. You must go after it. You must lift up these feet and start moving towards your God. And when you start moving, you begin to see walls of Jericho fall. Actually, let's start at the beginning. You start moving. The Jordan parts. Then the walls of Jericho fall. And then, as long as you don't stick idols underground in your life, 31 empires collapse before you. 
and you find a nation of peace, a nation where God is the ruler. This is the pattern of the human soul that is brought before Jesus Christ, Yeshua, Joshua, the leader, the conqueror that takes us into the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. You can hear about love, joy, and peace. But if you don't have it, who cares? It's just nice sounding words. Think about it. What has Christianity become today? It's a joke. Because we have nice sounding words, but we have no substance of it. When we, whatever you call it, pull the Christian community, and we were to get us to be honest, we don't have that love. We don't have that joy. We don't have that peace. We don't have that victory. But it is promised in Scripture. We are sitting in the wilderness talking about the land flowing with milk and honey as if we've obtained it, but we're only looking at it. We esteem it. We, we sing praise songs about it. We love the fact that God has given us a land flowing with milk and honey, but we haven't obtained it. Faith is how you obtain it. And that is why these men and women are listed among the heroes of the faith because they obtained it. That's just the first scripture. Ian Bounds, this isn't a scripture, by the way, so don't get confused after I say the first scripture. Ian Bounds, he had this quote, and it stood out to me. It, was, it, was, it just caught me. Jacob wrestled. Remember Jacob wrestling with the man of God at Peniel? And he said, I will not let go of you until you bless me. Jacob knew that God had the answer for him. He had been after it his entire life. And he grabbed a hold of God and he obtained something that night. And it says he wrestled until the breaking of day. This statement said, Jacob wrestled not so much with a promise as with the promiser. And that's a very important thing to realize. That God is not saying, I have given you the promise of joy. And then we have to wrestle through doubt and all these things and wrestle with the promise of joy. We're not wrestling with the promise of joy. We're wrestling with the promiser. He's the one that has it. So we grab a hold of him and say, I know you have it. You've promised and I have a legal hold on you because you cannot lie. You cannot lie and you've promised. So I will not let go of you. We grab a hold of the promiser to get the promise and that's how you obtain it. You believe that he is who he says he is and that when he promises, he cannot lie. And so you grab a hold of him for all that he's promised. And you say, I will not let go of you. And he says, I like that. We always think it seems rude to grab a hold of God and say, I will not let go. God calls it faith. God says, you believe I have it, don't you? Prove it. Hold on to me. Well, what if I start to wiggle away? How come you're not holding on anymore? Hold on to me. Do you believe I have it? Prove your faith because I'm going to wiggle a little. I want you to prove that it's real, that you know I'm the only one that can rescue you. So when I begin to wiggle away, when I begin to wrestle with you, resist, hold on, cling to me, obtain that promise because I desire to give it to you. But I can only give it through the channel of pure faith. I can only give my promises to those who believe me. So when I begin to wiggle, I'm testing your faith. And don't let me go. The thought of God wiggling is a, sort of a weird thought. I don't know if I like the word choice there. but uh, <clears throat> Okay, this is, this is good. This is a great scripture. This is one of the most telling. I mean, you can build your life on this scripture out of numbers. I mean, most of us don't think numbers is my book. Numbers, listen to this. God is not a man that he should lie. Just that statement is great. 
Men need to lie. Like I was saying to the kids up here, men need to lie. Why? Because we have something to cover up. We are living in shame. We're living in deceit. And we have to cover up our shame and deceit. We have to lie just to make it because we want to be something that we're not. And so we create a false image of who we are. God has nothing to defend. He is who he is. When he says it, he will do it. All throughout history he's done it. He has nothing to cover up. He is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Our God is true to his word. When he says it, you know he will make it good. And when you begin to capture that in your heart as a Christian, that he will make it good, that he is not as a normal man, he is not one that should promise and then you know, say, you know what, I can't fulfill that. There's other things that have come up but I, that I didn't foresee. This is how we have to work. We make contractual arrangements, something falls through, we have to negotiate again and say, you know what, is there a cure to this contract? Because I, I have to go bankrupt here. We fail. We fail each other because we are not God. But God is not as a man and he does not fail us. And that is our rock that we build upon. Our faith is not built on the work of a man that is preaching about the faithfulness of God, but it is built on God who is a rock. The only reason I can speak with force on this point is because I know I'm not pointing you back to me. How scary would that be if I had to make you assurances and promises to back up God? God backs up himself. I do not want you leaning on me. I want you leaning on him. He is secure. He is, you can hold him fast and he will not move. He does not shift like shadows. He does not change from generation to generation. He remains the same, unmoved. He is a rock and rocks don't alter. Distazo. Distazo. Now that sounds like Italian. Um, I don't get my uh, Greek uh, as most of you already know, my Greek usually sounds Italian or something. Every once in a while I put in the Scottish accent too. What was the other accent I was working on the other day? Who Was that uh, Indian and uh, Scottish mix with a little Irish? Oh, pirate too. Oh, yeah. S Scottish, Indian, and Texan. So uh, that's my Greek for you too. Distazo. Uh, I don't know how to do that in Scottish. Uh, it basically means, in the most simplest sense, to doubt or to waver. Now, I want you to realize, what I just read to you here, distazo, is something that probably many of you are lugging around in your life, and I want you to realize that God clearly hallmarks it as a sin. It is no small matter. He says, this literally is what damns you. The terminology in Scripture is so strong. That doubt is the opposite of what his kingdom works on. It doesn't make the life work. Christianity falters and fails when, it is, when doubting and wavering is included in the mix. Modern Christianity includes it in the mix as a normal part. But this isn't what Christianity is built on. This whole concept of doubting or wavering. In other words, when the testing comes and God says, do you trust me? We waver. When the challenge arises and we say, I believe my God, and then the first thing that happens 
is it looks like God's not coming through for us. That's exactly what always happens. There's a test of our faith. God is wiggling. He's saying, do you trust me? Because the natural evidence around us is showing that God is failing us. And he says, do you trust me? And we waver. We stagger. That's the other term used for it. We stagger. We waver. We are thrown about like the wind, of the, the, how the wind tosses the sea. And God says, you cannot get the promises of God that way. When you are tested, you must stand firm. That is what faith is. Faith isn't just the original believing. It's the proving that you will stay believing and stay firm in your belief, even when you're tested. Matthew 14, 3 said, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, speaking of Jesus speaking to Peter when Peter was walking on the water, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? That's the word distazo. Why did you waver? Why did you waver when you see the storm coming up? You had your eyes fixed on me, but the first test that comes, you turn away from me and start looking at the wave. We do this all the time. This, I mean, I've been deeply convicted over this, by the way. Because what I have termed faith in my life is little faith. It's not faith. It's little faith. Oligopistos. And I have felt such a strong rebuke for so many years of my Christianity, coming from heaven, looking at me, going, Eric, you haven't had the real substance, which is why you haven't obtained the promises. You have to have the real substance of faith. And when that wave comes crashing over you, I'm testing you, saying, keep your eyes trained on me. Believe me. Keep walking. I don't do a lot of walking on water. So I'm fairly impressed with Peter in this story. He's walking on water. And a wave is coming, and most of us are thinking, that's perfectly reasonable. It's perfectly reasonable. But Jesus doesn't think it's perfectly reasonable. And I say, we default to what Jesus is saying. This is not correct behavior, in other words. Yes, the waves will come. And yes, that can be scary when you're standing on water and a wave is going to crash against you. It's perfectly understandable in the natural. But we are dealing with God. And he says, trust me. Do you trust me? You, you want me to feed 5,000 people, Jesus. Okay, how's this going to work? We don't have any food. And he looks at him and says, oh, you of little faith. Don't you realize who I am? It doesn't matter how big the wave, how big the crowd. It doesn't matter how bad the disease. All that matters is that you know who is in your midst. It is Jesus Christ. This storm is raging against your little boat and water is filling it up. After the natural, you have every reason to panic. We are sinking, and Jesus is sleeping. What is wrong with him? And he wakes up, and he says, oh, you of little faith. It's like, well, this isn't a good situation, Jesus. If you were awake, I could understand you. If you were showing a little concern, but you're sleeping. This is a reasonable response. And he rebukes them. And he rebuked the wind and the rain. Peace be still. Do you not realize who is in the boat with you? I don't care how bad it's getting in your life. I don't care how much water is creeping up in that boat. If Jesus is in the boat with you, you can trust him. That's Christianity. You are unmoved. No matter what the circumstances are, you stand firm. Because there's a promise. And he will not lie to you. You can trust him. Diacrino. Is that a little Italian again? I should try my pirate voice. Diacrino. 
Isn't that impressive? Some of you are going, I wish I had an accent like that. See, I always wanted the Scottish accent, and I just don't have it. Okay, I would take an Australian accent too. So what I've settled for is my pirate accents. And so it's mainly my face. That's what makes it look like a pirate. I actually don't have a good So everyone hearing it through here is going, he thinks that's a pirate accent? <laughs> it's my face. If you can see my face, it's very believable. Um, okay, diacrino. I don't know if it has the in it, but I'm adding it. Uh, okay, this is what it means. To impose personal preference. To consult flesh in determining verdict. To hesitate to group oneself with God's opinion. To desert God in exchange for the world's approval. When the testing comes, you bring in your personal preference on the situation. It's like, through my experience, I really feel that God may not be trustworthy in this situation. Because I have had many situations. I'm, I'm a, a veteran in understanding decision making and you know, different things in life. And I've been in these situations before. And my personal opinion on the matter is we should do this. Well, but didn't God promise? You know what? We have to be careful with God's promises. Okay, We don't really understand what those all mean. But we need to really go with wisdom here. That is defaulting to a personal slant instead of to God. And that is also known as wavering and doubt in Scripture. That is rebuked by Jesus Christ and said, get this out of your life. It will cripple your spiritual development. It sounds like wisdom, but it is actually unbelief in the power of God, in the verity of God, in the trustworthiness of his word. Okay, listen to these illustrations of it. Because basically, if I could, one of my favorite well, favorite, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but favorite definitions in that one is the very last one, to desert God in exchange for the world's approval. There will be times, if you stand as a Christian, where the world's, world's approval is, is hanging in the balance, and you know what God has said to you, and he said, don't do that, or he said, do do this. And either one, whether it's a don't or a do, we feel the tension within our soul, because the world is looking on. And we know that if we were to follow God in that situation and walk in the faith of trusting his word above any man's opinion, that we would mar our reputation with men. That we would look smallish. That we would look unintellectual. Whatever it would be. We would look like an idiot, which is typically what it is. That we look like one of those Christians. And we don't want to look like that. Believe me, in this world especially, it's because we have a bad reputation out there. I don't want to look like one of those Christians. And so we feel that the heat of it, it's like a heat lamp on us, and we feel it. And God says, where are you? Because diacrino, do you hear, hear that accent again? <clears throat> diacrino is doubt. It is wavering. And if you desert God in the moment, you need to realize that that is literally sin. And it is crippling your soul. And it is it is the substance what leads to damnation in Scripture. Doubt, unbelief, is what caused the Israelites to remain in the wilderness and rot. It says their corpses rotted in the wilderness. Oh, that's a great picture. This is the problem. God speaks, but in the moment when you get the challenge in front of you, the big giant in front of you, you desert God. You back up and you look at it only through man's wisdom. And you fail in faith. So a few scriptures that include the word diacrino. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, 
be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not have diacrino in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he has said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he, say, he says, he saith. You know how strong that scripture is? It is so strong that it actually makes us uncomfortable. It is too extreme. But there's a, there's a qualifier in it. You cannot have diacrino in even the slightest bit. The way to obtain this is you have to leave diacrino behind. Your reputation goes with it. You have to realize that you make a stance for Jesus Christ and his word, and you will not back down. No matter what it means to your reputation, no matter what it means to public opinion polls about you, it doesn't matter. All that matters is what Jesus said and what Jesus thinks. Acts 10. Arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, nothing, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. This is God speaking to Peter. And when Cornelius is bidding him to come to his house. And he has just had that vision of, you know, the wild beasts coming down. And this is a violation of the Hebrew diet. So this is a very serious thing that Peter is being challenged with. And Gentiles are coming to invite him in. So everything about his Hebrewness is being challenged here. And God speaks to him and says, get thee down and go with them with no diacrino. Not a, even the slightest bit of it, Peter. Follow me and trust me, because I will not fail you. He staggered not. Speaking of Abraham, he staggered not, or he had no diacrino at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. You want to give glory to God? Get rid of the diacrino. Do not waver. Do not desert God in the test. Stand with him, and this is what brings glory to Jesus Christ. And he that doubteth... For he that has diacrino is damned if he eats. This is speaking of uh, what you f if your conscience is coming against you and you do not have the freedom uh, or you're causing a brother to stumble by your diet or what you are doing. This is, that's the context in, uh, in Romans. We're not going to deal with that today. Don't, uh, so if you're interested, I'm not covering that right now. The point that I'm bringing up is he that doubteth is damned if he eat. Because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You know, that is literally one of the strongest scriptures in the Bible that would cause most of us to go, you've got to be kidding. Whatever is not of faith is sin. There is only one way to live. Only one. There is only one grid. And that is that we say, my God is correct. And his word is his template for truth. That is truth. I look to his word as a guide for all matters. So therefore, if you believe that, you stick your faith in his word, in his nature, in his truth. We say he cannot lie, and he has given us his word, and that is, in fact, the word of truth. Therefore, it is our guide, and it is our decision maker. So we make decisions in accordance with it. And so if we make a decision that violates the word of God... That is, a, that is a decision that is not born of faith. Because our faith is placed in the word of God. And so if we make a decision that literally is violating the word of God, we are making a decision outside of faith. Outside the pale of faith. And that is literally sin. The, the beginning portion of that is even stronger. It's damnable to live this way. 
when you know the pattern that has been set for you, he who knows what he ought to do and does not do it, sins. Sin breaks fellowship with God. Sin is what separates us from his presence. He has dealt with the problem. So we enter into his presence and we say, God, what is your pattern? I want to live by it. He shows us the pattern. We walk in it. That's the key to Christianity. When he reveals it to you, you walk in it. When he shows you a promise, you believe it. When he says, this is the promised land, you go into it. You take it. Some of us have been living in ignorance because we haven't known the promises. But God is saying, no more ignorance. I want you to be held accountable to this because I want to give you the blessings of heaven. The only way to know is to hear. That's how faith is born. It's by hearing the word of God. And if you never hear it, if you never hear the promises of God, faith will never grow in you to take it. If the Israelites never heard that that land was given them, then they would have never had the opportunity to take it. Yes, an entire generation rotted in the wilderness because it had the opportunity and chose not to and walked in unbelief. But it's still better to have the opportunity than to not. We have the opportunity tonight. I want to, I, there are 750 promises in scripture. That's a lot. And most of us, if I were to ask you, what are the promises in scripture? We would flail about a little. And I'm not saying I wouldn't join you. Okay, if you ask me for all 750, whoo, that's a difficult one. Now some of them are repeats. The same thing, just a different way of saying it. But that's a lot of promise. God is giving us promise. One of the things that D.L. Moody said is the, one of the greatest studies any Christian could ever have when he first starts out and embarks upon his journey as a Christian is to study the promises of God. Why? Why would that be important? Because you need to know what you're standing on. You need to know what you're after. You need to know what the purchase of the cross was. If you don't know what the purchase of the cross is, you don't go after it and you don't obtain it. Faith obtains promises, but faith only comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You must hear the word of God. You must know the word of God to know what you're after. One of my great encouragements to you would be to start studying the word of God. Now, I've given you a little practice ground here to just sort of see what I'm looking into in the next couple weeks here. Okay? Now, I want you to, let's walk through these. These are actual promises in scripture from God to you. And these are things that you can build your life upon. These are not shaky things because these are things that God has promised and he cannot lie. This is exciting stuff. When Leslie and I ever get to a challenging point where there's a blur or a cloud in our way and we don't quite know what truth is in this situation. Because there's a lot of situations like this where you're, you come into a situation you're like, how am I supposed to respond to this? Because I don't want to presume upon God. You don't want to say, that's a promise, and then hold on to God for it. And he's like, that has nothing to do with what I'm about, Eric. I don't know where you got that. Because it's not rooted in anything in Scripture. It's not rooted in his nature. That isn't the purpose of the cross, was to get you to levitate, for instance. That isn't what it's about. You can try and act like it is and say, well, I'm praying whatsoever I want. But that God's whatsoever, and I've said this before. When it says, pray whatsoever, ask whatsoever you will and it will be given to you. The whatsoever is talking about the land of promise. It's the same terminology used for the Israelites when they were entering the land of promise. That wheresoever your foot shall tread in this land that's defined. 
from the river Euphrates to the Jordan River to the Great Sea, anywhere in this territory, wheresoever in this territory your foot shall tread, that will I give you. Jesus is an extension of that. He's speaking in the same covenantal language. I have given you a promise, and wheresoever in my promised land, the purchase of my cross that you should tread, you will get. I will give it to you. It's a promise from God to you. Okay, his word is unchangeable. No small thing, especially with the emergent church on the move. And certain members of the emergent church whose entire platform is saying that the word of God is evolutionary in nature, which means it's changing from generation to generation. You have to realize that it's a promise that it's not. And so if you're starting to feel a little squeamish around this, it's like, well, maybe it is changing. In other words, God used to be against certain things, homosexuality for one, but now he's changed his mind because the culture's different. As if God is adapting to culture instead of demanding that culture adapts to him. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not altering, and that's a promise. And when we're looking for something to build upon, we need to know that. Because if God is changing, think about this. If the word of God is changeable, what assurance do you have? Because what do we, how do we know what changed and what didn't? How, who's to say? It is all random. It is everyone's opinion. It is the most miserable chaos you could ever get. And it's under the banner of wisdom and truth in our generation. It's one of the most dangerous and damnable heresies there's ever been. And we are in the midst of it today. And he promises. And so if you want to stand on something, just know that his word will not change. He is a rock. He will not alter. The winds of time will not alter our God. He will supply mercy. I don't care what you've gone through in your life, how dark your past is, to know these things, that he will supply mercy. It is a promise to you. His mercy triumphs over judgment. Look at the next one. He is sure to forgive our sins. He isn't weighing it in the balance when we come before him with a contrite heart and say, God, you promised you promised that you'd forgive me. We have not, we don't deserve it. It's not like we can appeal on the fact that, did you hear my prayer? It was a really good prayer, God. We can't leverage anything on our side of the ledger, but we can hold him to a promise because he cannot lie and he's given it to us. Whosoever should come to him, he will forgive our sins if we cry out to him and we ask, if we come to him in faith and say, please, I believe that you are the one that can wash me clean. And I come to you, Lord Jesus, and I cling to you, and I say, do what you must inside of me. But I believe that your mercy is for me, and I believe that your forgiveness is for me. Hold him to it. Do not waver in it. Know that it is yours, and you will find a joy of salvation in it. He will preserve us. He will deliver us from our enemies. He will supply us peace, which means a removal of enemy faction. If you have enemy faction in your life, you know that one voice that's constantly diminishing you, that's always baiting you with uh, discouragement and despair and bringing you into depression. Well, that's called an enemy faction. That isn't a healthy life. That isn't a very enjoyable life. That isn't a land flowing with milk and honey, is it? How about the men that are constantly struggling with sexual sin? That is enemy faction. That is not healthy. This is not giving glory to Jesus Christ. If God has given us the land of promise, 
There's 31 empires there. Don't leave 15 of them alive. You know, and just take out your corner and say, okay, I'm just dealing with this. Most of us still have 31. But if you have 15 still remaining, that's not peace in the land of Israel. He is the prince of peace, which means he will abolish all of your enemies. Nothing can stand against him. So stand in that truth and hold him to it. God, you say that you're a God of peace. Not just tranquility of mind. Peace, a removal of all that is harassing your soul. All that is attempting to darken your inner life. Get it out. He is the prince of peace. Take advantage of it. It's a promise. He will supply us joy. Wouldn't that be great? Joy. Could you imagine actually holding on to God and say, you promised. This is actually what you purchased for me. That my joy may be full. And most of us are thinking, my joy hasn't even begun, let alone is full. We have an empty cup. A little drop comes out. We're like, oh, there was a drop. And we lost it. We don't have joy. In American culture, one of the rarest things you'll ever find is true joy. We have false joy. We have a counterfeit joy that we think is joy every now and then because we get a rush of excitement and happiness because things are going well for us. So we're feeling all good. Or our football team wins. Or we watch a good movie. We're feeling really good. You know, we're just happy. Something great happens financially. Our tax return comes in. It was good. And so we say, thank you, Jesus. And we have this joy. No. That's based on circumstances. The joy I'm talking about is impervious to circumstances. Jesus had it when he was on the cross, for instance. It was set before him. It was constantly there. He was a man full of the joy of God. How in the world can you have joy in all circumstances? Because it isn't just a feeling. It isn't just an emotion. It's a state of soul. It's a constancy within you. That there is an exuberance of knowing that God is in control. And all circumstances can be dealt with by the Spirit of God, no matter how dark they seem, to his glory. No matter how dark they are. He will supply us wisdom. Now many of you know this one. This is a promise in James. And I grew up with this one. That I need to, if I ask for wisdom, he will give it. But there's this little caveat. You can't have any doubting. Isn't that interesting? It's the same principle. If you have distazo, distazo, there I go trying to figure that out again. If, I, if you have diacrino, you can't get the wisdom, but he supplies it. To obtain it, you must get rid of the doubting. You must stand firm and say, God, you have supplied wisdom for your saints. You have supplied what I will need. And so I come to you and I ask, and I know you will give it. Because you cannot lie and you have promised. Hold him to it. He will give you everything you need. He will make us fruitful. He will make your life effective. It's a promise. Isn't that an amazing thought? He will make you a fruitful Christian. He promises to do it. You abide in him. Let his word, let his word abide in you. You will produce fruit. He promises that if you follow his pattern, it will work for you. He will provide us with guidance. You have tough decisions in front of you, trying to figure out some challenging circumstances? Guess what? He promises to guide you. He promises that if you come to him unwavering, that he will give you what you need to know, to know the circumstances and to follow his lead. 
He will give us victory. He won't just help us survive. He will make us triumphant. That's a promise. He will make us more than conquerors. He will do it. But we must stand unwavering. Just think how ridiculous it would sound to say to a whole bunch of brickmakers that they can enter the land of promise and God will tear down 31 hostile empires that are full of giants. Not just normal-sized men behind walled cities, which is plenty, but giants behind walled cities. How ludicrous does that sound? Well, it's just as ludicrous as what you are called to do. You are called to be a triumphant picture of the kingdom of heaven on planet Earth. You have to believe it. You have to trust that what God promised in Scripture is for you. And if you don't trust it, you're not going to get it. If you don't believe it, you will not obtain it. If you keep your feet in the wilderness, you will not to ever taste of the land flowing with milk and honey. There's only one way to get it, and that's to believe that your God is a performer of that which he promises. So if he says, go take it, you go take it. It's that simple. Christianity is actually fairly simple. He says, believe me. I'm promising you, approach scripture as a child. Don't overthink it. I'm telling you, you go after this, I'll give it to you. And when you go after it, don't stop until you get it. That's faith. You will not relent. You will keep hounding your God on a legal hold to his character, to his nature, that he has promised and you will not let him go. One of the things that Leslie and I always go through is what we always say, we need a rock beneath our feet. So we go to Scripture, and we prayerfully go to Scripture. We don't just randomly go to Scripture and flop it open. We're saying, God, we need a rock beneath our feet. We need to know what we can stand on in this situation. Please, show us. He will do it. He will give you a rock beneath your feet. And when you get a rock beneath your feet, you know the difference between sand and a rock. Some of you have never actually felt that concrete assurance in your God. Some of the things I'm saying tonight... You, you're just wobbly on them. You're like, why in the world is he so confident about it? Is that fake? <laughs> oh, it's not fake at all for me. This is very real for me. You can get the concrete assurance. Remember I was talking about Hebrews 1, 11, 1 uh, last week? I was saying that it's evidence to the soul. Faith is evidence of things unseen. These are things hoped for. It's substance within the soul. It's hard to explain. But I know that I know that these things are true. I know if you hit me on certain promise points, it's like, oh, I'm unmovable on those points. There's others, I'm very wobbly. Because I don't have a rock beneath my feet yet. You have to establish a rock beneath your feet, and that comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. You must see it, and you must allow the spirit of God to speak to you through his word. To say, Eric, there it is. Build your life upon it. You see that. Believe it. Run with it. Take it. Obtain it. And don't stop until you get it. Oh, it's a great feeling when you obtain it. When you get it. When your soul's grip begins to grab a hold of it. I have things in my soul that are tangible to me. It's evidence of things unseen. And people can come up to me and say, that's ridiculous. And I look at them and say, you're ridiculous. That's what's going through my head. It's like they look at me as stupid. 
because I believe things that I can't see. And I look at them as the ones with the problem. Because they don't see it? How could you not see it? God reveals it here. It's so obvious. Wait a minute. I have to remember that it's not obvious to other people. But it is so clear to my soul. That's faith. Faith is a clarity that you know who is with you. And you know he will multiply that bread and feed the 5,000. Now, God has not tested me at certain levels. In other words, I have faith for where I'm at in my state. But that's, you know, still, for most people around me, they're looking at me as I'm, I'm rather crazy. Some of the things that Jesus has called us to are so far beyond anything I've ever experienced. Okay, I'm just forewarning you about that. You're, if you're going to hang around me, you're going to find out that I'm constantly pushing at that. I'm like, I, I don't even know how far I've gotten in this whole thing. I keep thinking, okay, I've crossed the Jordan, the walls of Jericho have fallen, and the next thing you know, I feel like I'm just now crossing the Jordan. It's like, I think I'm just beginning in this. I don't care where you're at, but if you are in the wilderness, get out of it. Jesus Christ has promised you something. Take it. Take it. And if you're having trouble seeing, ask God to clear your vision. If you have grown too mature, in your own soul, and you're one of those smart ones, the ones that, one that loves to get complimented for your intellect. It's one of the most dangerous things, the smart ones. Because if you've been complimented for your intellect, sometimes it is so difficult to get down to the level of promise and to just trust him as a child. You have too many barnacles up here because you really want the applause that you figured something out that God didn't think of. You don't know anything. You don't. In the whole scheme of the universe, you know nothing. Nothing. And I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm just giving you a state of reality. The enemy wants to tell you that you are something special. You are something special to Jesus Christ. But what I mean is, you are not anything special to be able to stand outside of what God provides and be able to make it. You need what he has. And until you come to that point of brokenness before God to say, I need it. I need it. I didn't think I needed it, but I need it too. I grew up a Christian, and I thought God needed me. I don't know where I got this thought. But it's like, here's my thought. Okay, all of you are born in wretchedness. Born in sin. I was spared. I grew up a Christian. And so I see clearly, you all need the gospel. But God has recruited me to help pass on the gospel to you. I'm a special one, a sp somehow selected, hand-selected by God for the work of the kingdom because he needs me. Okay, now the, the thought wasn't that crystal clear, but it was a vibe <laughs> that I was carrying around. It was a vibe that somehow I was needed. Why God condescends to use Eric Ludy, now the, the new revelation, <laughs> why God ever even put up with me as opposed to just striking me down dead, like, get this guy out of the way. I mean, just baffles me to no end. Why he puts up with any of us. Why we represent him. He could represent himself so much better. Why in the world are we even in the mix? Let's get out of the way and do it his way. He says, I need that body of you, yours, Eric. Could you give it to me? What are you going to do with it? Do you trust me? Like, I don't know. What are you going to do with my body? I'm going to take it and make it mine. And those hands will be my hands. And those lips, Eric, are no longer going to be singing your praises. They're going to be singing the praises of the glory of God. I need you out of there, out of the way, moved out, relegated. You're now a butler in your life. I am the master of the estate. 
That's the way life works. That's the way it succeeds. There's no other pattern. You try and claim control of your life and say, I think I can do it better, God. You see, you have some problems in your word. I've noticed them. And you're coming to God to critique him. The most dangerous thing you could ever do is be a critiquer of God. Humble yourself before the living God and let him examine you. Take that critique, that highlighter pen that you've been looking through the Bible with going, well, you know what, I don't think that's for today. Be careful. God is unchanging. And he said what he said on purpose. And he left out a lot of things on purpose. He said what he said because he needed to say it. And he said it for all generations. Trust it. Build your life upon it. And don't trust me. Trust him. When I say it, I mean it. God has proven the verity of his word to me. I have absolute confidence in his word. I have absolute confidence in him. But that has to be born in you as an individual. Don't trust me. Go to him and say, God, I need confidence in you. Build it. Do whatever you need to. But I want to take the first step forward and say, God, at the most basic level, I want to trust. I want to begin to take a step forward. You show me what to do. I want to trust you. And then I want you to prove it is real trust within me. Prove my faith. Make it real. When it's tested, I want to know that it's genuine. Please, Lord Jesus, I need the real thing. I need to obtain the promises. Let's pray. Holy Father, pick us up and move us. Do not let us stagnate. Do not let us remain in the land of mediocrity. The enemy will not care about us here. Lord, take us where the enemy cares. Put us in his very heart. May he feel the dagger of our obedience. In, the very, in his very breast. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would progress us to obtain the promised land. The promised land that you purchased with your own blood. Lord Jesus, let us fearlessly fall short of the promise that has been left us. Let us go after it with every fiber of our being. Lord Jesus, indwell us. Take our lives and use them. And Lord, for those of us that are waffling, for those of us that are struggling with doubts and wavering, and we've, we've deserted you in the time of trial, Forgive us. Please forgive us, Lord Jesus. And establish a concrete assurance within our souls. May we stand for you unwavering and unmoved. No matter what this world says, no matter what evidence the world may try and mount against us, I pray that we would stand and we would say, my God is faithful. And his word is sure. We love you. This is for your glory and honor and praise. Amen.